This is Peter Helland on Citizens for Community Media. And uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones is uh, with us today. And in our community here in South Bend, for those who are going to watch this on YouTube, uh, in South Bend they've had uh, the FSSP, which is not a term most people know, but it's... Fraternal Society of St. Peter. Right, which goes, you're going to give the history of that a little bit, but they, at St. Stanislaus, uh, which I've been to many times, where they, they have events that uh, people that participate in the Latin Mass go to all the time, and every Sunday they do have a Latin Mass, and I've been to their luncheons. Um, it's a very interesting group. Uh, you, I, I engage in a lot of interesting conversations, uh, a lot of homeschoolers. Um, and what has happened is that Pope Francis has come out with an um, apostolic letter. Motu proprio. That it seems like in the long run, maybe not in the short run, I'm not sure of the details, but in the long run it looks like they're trying to get rid of that uh, right. uh, the, the, right. the older way. Yeah. St. Saint, Saint Stan's is a uh, fraternity of St. Peter Parish. Uh, they only say the Latin Mass there. Okay, uh, it's an interesting group of people because it's basically a club. It's not a parish. Parishes are geographical. If it's a ge if it were a geographical parish, it would be old Polacks, who are the re the people who are left. Uh, what is left of the ethnic neighborhood, the Polish ethnic neighborhood that was started there during the industrial era of uh, South Bend, Indiana. Uh, it's been ethnically cleansed, so it's mostly black now. A few Pol they're, they're not Catholic, a uh, few old Polish people. And um, they uh, do not have the ability to attend uh, the English Mass there, the vernacular Mass. Uh, uh, now, let me be clear here. I think that they do have it, but the uh, pastor will not say that Mass. So uh, you've got a situation here where uh, there is division. I saw it firsthand when uh, the fraternity group was at St. Pat's, which is an, a former Irish parish, another ethnic parish, and they were supposed to share the, uh, the church with the regular parishioners. Uh, it was ten there was tension there. There's no way of getting around it, and the bishop resolved that tension by removing uh, Monsignor Fritz from there and putting him in at St. Stan's. And now they have their own parish, and they're operating according to that, uh, those principles. Uh, that, that operation is now illegal in the Catholic Church, according to this motu proprio. This group of people now that, who are united in uh, going to sit to the Latin Mass should not have their own parish. They have to separate from parishes. They have to have their Mass now in separate buildings. Now, there's a crisis for this group of people. Who, who is the, what is the fraternity of St. Peter? Um, the Benedictines belong to an order that is 1,500 years old. Okay, the Fraternity of St. Peter came into existence in 1988 uh, as a result of Archbishop Lefebvre consecrating four bishops. Archbishop Lefebvre was the head of the Society of Pius X, which rejected the Second Vatican Council and would only say the Tridentine Mass. 
Okay, the, the church tolerated them uh, for a number of years. They're during the 70s, they had a kind of ambiguous relationship with the church. And then, but when he did that, when he consecrated those bishops without the permission of Rome, he went into schism. Now, that means you are no longer part of the Catholic Church. You walked out of the Catholic Church. Can we go back? There's a lot of people that don't know some of these terms here. You know, I know locally, even though they're Catholic all their life, or it's a Catholic community, Tridentine, they don't know that term. Tridentine comes from the city of Trent. There was a Council of Trent that was called, convoked to deal with the crisis of the Reformation. And in order to deal with it, well, at this point in Europe, you had rights all over the map, all for, for, you. At this point in Germany, uh, you had so many principalities. You, if you wanted to go from uh, Luther's birthplace to the, uh, the uh, Baltic Sea, you had to travel through 27 different countries, separate countries, principalities. They all spoke German, but they were all separate principalities. And you had to pay tolls every time you crossed the border. So this is the type of mosaic you have. And in a situation like that, you're going to have different rights. And the church at this point was faced with a crisis, faced with decadence, uh, uh, symbolized by the Italy during the Italian Renaissance, during the Renaissance, the Renaissance papacy was decadent, and they had to standardize the right. And the Tridentine rite is what got standardized out of there. And that was in effect for uh, almost 500, 500 years. So when you were younger, that's what you. So when I was younger. growing up, and you were when you were growing up, and you were an older boy in uh, Wisconsin, we celebrated the Tridentine Rite, which hadn't changed since for, that time for five hundred years. For five hundred years. Uh, so at this point, uh, uh, when I'm, I, I guess I'm eighteen years old, and suddenly there's a new rite, and it's in the vernacular, and anytime you change something this venerable, there is going to be chaos. And not only is there chaos, there is deliberate subversion going on here by uh, people who are using this as an excuse to bring about a revolutionary condition in the church. Now, the problem here is that there are always going to be people who think post hoc ergo propter hoc, and they're saying, well, this happened after Vatican II, so therefore it was caused by Vatican II. Well, this is what I was confronted with when I started Fidelity Magazine. It got people, uh, I mentioned it in the article that I gave you, it's going to appear in Culture Wars, uh, base Howard Walsh, a mover and shaker in traditionalist circles, uh, invites me to dinner and he says, nothing's going to change until we go back to the Latin Mass. This was an attitude that came into being at this time because the people uh, uh, didn't know what happened. They, they, this, was, this was an expression of ignorance because you had to do research to find out what happened because the people whose job it was to tell you were not going to tell you. And I'm talking about the Catholic Historical Society or something like that or Phil Gleason at Notre Dame, or Notre Dame in general. They didn't want you to know what happened because they were involved in the subversion. And so what I talked about at that point was, uh, oh, oh, Hesburgh's involved with uh, fun, uh, secret conferences at Notre Dame to overturn the church's teaching on contraception funded by the Rockefellers. 
That's what they were doing all kinds of secret Notre Dame. All kinds of stuff like that. So they're not going to tell you what's going on. So back to Howard Walsh. Howard, if I believed, if I signed on with what you said, we would never know any of this because I don't have to know anything anymore. All I have to know is that we need the Latin mass. And so it became this, this uh, blockage. Basically, you don't need any answer. You don't need another answer. And that was the problem. Because if you look into it, there are very definite stories that need to be told here. So if you want to talk about the liturgy, you want to talk about music, which is a crucial part of the liturgy. Do you want to talk about Rembrandt Weekland? Well, he was in charge of the implementation of music. He well, went to Juilliard. Well, in, in Milwaukee? The, 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 cardinal, uh, the, the Archbishop of Milwaukee, yeah. Rembert Weekland. Okay, now, and he, if you, if you don't like Kumbaya, talk to Rembert Weekland because he's the one who was responsible for that. Now, did he have an agenda? Well, I think he did. But it took time to figure it out because, uh, wait a minute, Rembert just got caught uh, in, uh, with, uh, involved with a homosexual and he's been blackmailed by this homosexual and using uh, diocesan funds to pay off the blackmail. Well, do you think that had something to do with his attitude toward the liturgy? Well, I do. So you're, why are you blaming the liturgy when you should be talking about Rembrandt Week? Well, because you don't know about Rembrandt Week and you don't know anything. You don't know basically anything of what happened. And I'm talking about, uh, let's say, John Courtney Murray, a, a, a crucial figure at the Second Vatican Council. And if it weren't for Dave Wemhoff's book, which we published on John Courtney Murray and the CIA, no one would know about that story either. Or what about uh, Malachi Martin? Well, uh, he was a, 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 a priest who was working with Cardinal Bea, and he was being paid by the Jews. B'nai B'rith, the American Jewish Committee, to subvert Nostra Tate and get the church to say that the Jews were not responsible for the death of Christ. Now, we don't need to know any of this because all we have to do is blame Vatican II and blame the Novus Ordo Mass. And that's the type of know-nothingism that grew up in these circles. And I, I, was, I, I was part of it. I, I, not, I, I was always an outsider, but I was there watching what was going on. And uh, part of what I quoted here was an article I wrote 28 years ago. 28 years ago. So to get back to the story here, they go into schism. The SSPX goes into schism. And Pope John Paul II doesn't want them to take the Catholics with them. He knows they're attached to the Latin Mass, to the Tridentine Mass, and so he makes a special uh, uh, exemption. Okay, we, I know they're attached to it. I don't want them to go into schism, and so therefore we'll have an indult where they can say the, the, the Tridentine Mass. That's the beginning of this story. Okay, it was very special circumstances. But it seemed like a, a rational decision at the time, right? I don't see, uh, I, I can understand why he did it, okay? I can understand, this is pastoral concern for a people who are, the temptation for these people, which is exactly the temptation right now. What is exactly the temptation right now? You're going to follow the Tridentine Mass out of the church. 
because that's more important to you than the church. Well, guess what? The church created the mass. We've seen this before. The Lutherans, what did they do? Is the Bible a good thing? Yes. Of course it is. Can you turn, what did the Lutherans do? They followed the Bible out of the church. They perverted the Bible by removing it from the church, and when you remove the Bible from the church, you've got revolution. And that's what they got. Immediately, the Bauernaufstand, the peasant revolt. Is the rosary a good thing? Is Fatima a good thing? Yes, Fatima is a good thing. Does Fatima judge the church? Or does the church judge, judge Fatima? The church judges Fatima. Well, we've got Father Gruner, the late Father Gruner, who was basically issuing ultimatums to the Pope saying, you've got to consecrate it the way I said, because Fatima trumps the church. Well, I've dealt with all these people. It's almost 40 years now, I've dealt with them all. You can have private revelations, Fatima's private revelation. You can have, they're, they're, they're real private revelations, and you can use them to leave the church. I've been there in New Jersey with Howard Walsh. He gave a talk called The Dangers of Private Revelation, where I said exactly what I just said, and somebody stands up and says, but what about Bayside? I said, Bayside is crazy, and they almost lynched me. I was almost lynched by these irate Bayside'ers. What are these people? What are these people? They're people who don't understand what's going on. They're looking for a simple explanation for a complex story. And so when Veronica Lucan stands up there and says, the real Pope Paul VI has been kidnapped and an imposter has been put into his place, they say, it's all clear to me now. I understand every, it's, it's perfectly clear. This is the type of stuff that's been going on ever since the end of the Second Vatican Council. And the Latin Mass was part of it. It got weaponized. And I was there. I know the people who weaponized it. There's a proverb that says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of a king to search it out. So investigative reporting is the duty of everybody. You can't just take things on the surface. You have to do your work. Which well, the point, the point, there are certain people who are supposed to do this because it's their occupation. And I'm talking about uh, historians, Catholic historians. Well, they were, they were at places like Notre Dame. They're not allowed to. They're not allowed to tell the truth because they are professors at a university. So basically, you, you decapitate the church. You cut off all the intellects. Well, of course you're going to have Bayside. Of course you're going to have that because no one's giving an explanation of what's really going on. So of course you're gonna have these theories and they're gonna spread and they're gonna spread. And the problem, so what happened here? That's the situation. Pope John Paul II makes some type of allowance for these people, fine. I saw the problem five years after. 93 is when I wrote my article. It was already a problem. Five years after Ecclesia Day. You could tell. And I know, I, know, I know what the problem is. The problem is schism. It's schism. This is a sin. Nobody knows what schism is. Sometimes I wonder if Rome knows what schism is because they get into these debates with the SSPX about the doctrine of Vatican II. That's not what the issue here is. The issue is schism. Schism is lack of charity. 
That's what St. Augustine said. Schism is refusal to associate with the body of Christ out of fear of contamination. The schismatics at his time were the Donatists, and they were Judaizers, and Judaizers had this phobia about contact with unclean people, because that's what the Pharisees were like. Okay? That's what schism is. It's a sin. And I saw it firsthand. Do you think that there's a connection between like getting a divorce or a schism? I mean, is the, is the concept... No. Not even, not even close? No. No, it's different. Okay. It's different. So, uh, you got Bishop Fele. It's on tape. The church has cancer. If we associate with the church, we will get cancer. Therefore, we have to separate from the church. That the, first of all, it's bad medicine. Cancer is not contagious. But secondly, uh, that's the essence of schism. You're refusing to associate. You're committing a sin against charity, and no one can be saved if they sin against charity. Bishop Williams has said the same thing. Changed it a little bit. Church has tuberculosis. At least that's medically plausible. If we associate with the church, we'll get tuberculosis, so therefore we have to dissociate ourselves from the church. Classic expression of schism. Whether any, whether it's an official statement or not, that's what it is. Okay? And that's what they were saying, and that's what he's telling me when I met with him uh, at this crucial turning point. The crucial turning point that's is, you're talking about Walsh, right? Is that who you're talking about? No, no. I'm talking about Bishop Williamson now. So oh. the, what is the crucial turning point? Or I've already told you the beginning. What's the middle? The middle is Summorum Pontificum, which is the motu proprio that Ratzinger, now Pope Benedict XVI, issues in 2007. Okay? Now, why did he do that? What did he do? First of all, he lifted the excommunications of the four bishops. Lefebvre is dead now. The four bishops, he lifts the excommunications. That did not resolve the schism. That was a step toward resolving the schism. So this is me. Uh, you know, I'm going to help. I'm going to be the Boy Scout here, and I'm going to help the church out. I'm going to go to England. I'm going to talk to Bishop Williamson, and I did. Go over there. He's at Wimbledon. The tennis thing is going on as I arrive, you know. Walk in the door. The first thing Bishop Williamson says to me is, I have a letter on my desk that says, I accept Vatican II in light of tradition. So I said, well, go up and sign it, and then we'll talk about tennis, because that's the only reason I came here. And then for the next, and then he says to me, well, actually, Archbishop Lefebvre would have signed that letter. And I said, well, wait a minute, I'm getting nervous now. You mean you're not going to sign this? How could you not sign a letter like this? That is carte blanche. And then for the next three hours, he tells me why he cannot sign that letter. That's the, that's the mindset. Much as I like Bishop Williamson, love to sit around and talk with him, but he's got this death wish. He's determined to die outside of the church. And so in the course of the conversation of him explaining to me why he's not going to sign that letter, he tells me, pretty in so many words, uh, basically that he is the true church and that Rome is pretty much going to have to come around to him and ask to be admitted back into the true church of Bishop Williamson. That's the attitude the guy had. It's not an exaggeration. Okay? 
So that's, that shows you how deep and pertinacious and, and wicked schism is. No matter how congenial the guy is, it's wicked because it's based on lack of charity. And there's no point in debating doctrine with a schismatic, because that's not the issue. Okay, so now we're back to Summorum Pontificum. And at this point, instead of just list, list, lifting, instead of just lifting the excommunications, Ratzinger now makes the Latin Mass available on a widespread basis, and basically, if you want it, you can have it. Okay, now, the, the, the traditionalists all cheer. You could see them, you could hear the corks popping from the champagne bottles. There's literally uh, Tom Woods and uh, Jeffrey Tucker, picture of them with a champagne bottle. Now, these are libertarians who hold the church's teaching on economics in total contempt. Their job is to undermine the church's teaching, and they love the Latin Mass. Well, why is that? Well, because it's a hideout. It's become a hideout. It's become weaponized. It's a way of avoiding the issue. It's a way of making you feel good about yourself. Well, no matter what it is in itself, this is what it had become. But there's a more important issue here. Okay, the more important issue is now you have two rights. Now, I have to take a step back here. Ratzinger in Samorum Pontificum said specifically these are not two rights. They are two different forms of the same right. <laughs> you may say that, Your Holiness, but that's not the general perception. The perception is that there's two rights. And okay, now you've got two. Okay, one means unity. Now you got two. It's like the Zoroastrians. You know, they have two gods. They're not as bad as the Hindus. The Hindus have 33 million gods, but it doesn't matter whether it's two or 33 million. You can only have one because if you had two, they're not God. So now you got two rights. As soon as you have two rights, you have to make a choice. And what happened here with the indult is now it's an easy choice to make, right South Bend, right now. You can just go to St. Stan's. It's easy. And you can get the full, full, full blown Latin rite in all its uh, counter reformational splendor. Okay? Now, that's going to cause a problem because you have to make a choice. You can only choose what is good. If it's two things, you can only choose the better of the two. If you're, if you're making a good choice. If you're no, if you make any choice, you have to whether whether it's actually better or not. You in your mind see it as better. So now you're saying this is better than that, and at this point you've got division. And it says only by pride cometh contention. So there's an element of. Well, so so, so the, the people who are involved in the Latin Mass, obviously, they think it's better than the Novus Ordo. How can you argue with that? Why are you going there if it's not better? And now that it's better, if you go along that path, now we've done 13 years down this path now, uh, they are convinced that it's better. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying, telling you this because it's based on conversations I have had with people at St. Stan's. They, not only are they saying it's better, they are saying that the, the, the Novus Ordo is defective, and they are saying basically 
this is exactly what I was told, that we need to abolish the Novus Ordo and bring back the Trident Mass as the universal usage of the church. Now, in one sense, I agree with them because there should be only one universal right because you need that for unity. So if basically, if, if uh, your holiness is going to say, okay, we're going back to the Trident and right, that's fine with me. I grew up with it, I'll go back to it, I don't have a problem. But that is not the mind of the church. And what happened here is that this person articulated exactly what Pope Francis articulated in the motu proprio as a danger and an abuse and a reason, uh, cause of disunity in the church. There is no way of getting around that. It's true. It's true. And it was Ratzinger's, I'm trying to weigh my words here. Was it imprudent on his part to expand it this way? Because what you have now, what you introduce, and I said this, I said this 28 years ago, you now have de facto consumerism as the basis of your ecclesiology. So basically, we've already happened to the parish, okay? It's already happened to the parish where basically, you don't like it here, well, just pick your own, pick a parish. You like, you like uh, you're, you're a homosexual, there's a gay parish right down the street. You're a charismatic, there's a charismatic, you make a left at that street. Uh, you like the Latin mass, well that's over. So you've got this basically, you've introduced the idea of consumerism. The customer's always right. And I gave you that quote in that article of Bishop, um, I forget what his name is now, the guy in, in uh, Richmond, Virginia. Uh, whatever his name is, he's no longer around here. But anyway, he says, uh, it's fine, that's, that's the, the idea. We'll give them what they want. That is not the basis for the Catholic Church. That is not unity, and that's the problem that Samorum Pontificum introduced into the church. And I'm saying, this is what the Pope said, that's why he's putting an end to it. That's what he said. That's the whole argument. Yeah, and, right he, there. and he quotes Corinthians where one person said, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. And even Schofield referenced that, but that's a class. Everybody knows that, and the Pope is saying we can't have this. That's not unity. No. So Paul, you have yeah. so so what? So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this? So what was the real? So let's let's be historical. We have to no a historical Thomism here. Let's be historical. What is the immediate cause? I mean, that's that's the the big picture. That's part of what he talks about. Is that the only story that's this part of this? No, it's not the only story. Because what you had in April was Thomas Reese, formerly the editor of America Magazine, uh, writing an article talking about how the Latin Rite has to go. We cannot tolerate it anymore. And he's a Jesuit. He's a Jesuit. The Pope is a Jesuit. Uh, Reese is an influential guy. Uh, and then he said a, a statement that outraged everyone. Uh, young people should not be allowed to go to the Tridentine Mass. You could hear the howls all over when he said something like that. Who are you? You know, and I don't agree with Thomas Reese. Okay? Now, who's. So the Jesuits are behind this. This is not something that came out of the blue. Why are the Jesuits doing this? Why are the Jesuits so uh, hot to ban the Latin Mass. 
James Martin got, uh, is, uh, f promotes homosexuality as his main apostolate, and he got a letter from the Pope, a uh, handwritten letter endorsing his apostolate, spreading acceptance of sodomy throughout the Catholic Church. People are outraged. How can you do this? There's a cartoon someone told me about. Uh, the cartoon is Latin Mass canceled, LGBT Mass uh, on, uh, as scheduled as usual. That's the type of anger that, that, that you're feeling right now. So, well, who's, who's running the Jesuits? Who's running the Jesuits? Another puzzle here. Turns out that George Soros gave the Jesuits $1.7 million. We knew this months ago. Uh, we knew that the Jesuits are basically chaplains to the oligarchs. They are the prime force of injecting oligarchic uh, interest into the Catholic Church, the COVID, the acceptance of COVID, uh, an example of the church endorsing an oligarchic form of uh, biological warfare against the entire human race at this point, and the church can't seem to figure it out. Okay, we're in a very, a very weak it, it, a position here. The Jesuits are, the, are traditionally the most educated, right? So that, in other words, no. no? No, the Dominicans are traditionally the most educated. That's the Thomas Aquinas. The Jesuits are the shock troops of the Catholic Church. They're an army. They're an army unit. That's the way Ignatius Loyola created them. And they jump in. It's like a SWAT team. And they jump in and they, okay, we're going to deal with the Reformation. Or we're going to convert uh, South America. Or we're going to go to China and learn Chinese and convert them. That's what they're there. They're an action-oriented group. A lot of them were intellectuals. Uh, but that's not that's not their main their main charism. So there's ferment here, okay. And then the crucial article that I would like to read. Can you can you show me that article? Yeah, this I mean, is part part of the commentary here. Everybody's got to say something. Everybody's got to figure it out. What's going on? And here's an article which I think uh, hit the nail. On the head, it's not even written by a Catholic. Uh, I'm talking about an article by uh, Eric, Eric Stryker. Uh, I don't think he's a Catholic. He may be. He, his stuff appears on the UNS Review. My stuff appears on the UNS Review. Just reporting in general, he says, a Catholic intellectual who insisted on not being named told National Justice that works by E. Michael Jones and Father Dennis Fahey are influential among young traditional Catholics, something that has even caused them to clash behind the scenes with the neoconservative old guard in the Latin mass movement. This has started to attract heat from Jewish organizations and goes on uh, from there. I think that's what's going on here. Well, let me, let me just throw in because I had to do a, trying to research this and I went to Wikipedia because as soon as he came out with uh, his uh, apostolic letter, Traditiones Custodis, uh, Wikipedia had already apparently put stuff up right away. Yeah. yeah. And they had a bunch of sections. One was, what were the academics saying? Okay. And they had four of them listed. And the second one was, uh, it says here in Wikipedia, Christopher Bolido, professor of church history at Keene University, 
since said Francis was right to intervene, noting that Benedict XVI's original decision had had numerous unintended consequences that not only split the church, but temporarily roiled relations with Jews. Uh, he's, uh, Francis hits it right on the head with his observation that Benedict's 2007 loosening of regulations against the Latin Rite allowed others to use it for division. He said the blowback proves his point. So, so it's the Jews. Well, apparently, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's what's going on here? I think what. Let's go back to the original uh, Latin Mass movement in America. It came. It was from New York. I know the people. Is what's the big issue in New York City? Is it the Latin Mass? No. It's at this point in history, it's the Jewish control of the culture that became greater and greater over this period of time, largely because of the church. The church was hors de combat, missing in action because of Nostratate. The Jews were our friends. We're not going to complain about abortion and stuff like that, even though Bernard Nathanson, who was a Jew, said the Jews were responsible for abortion. We're going to pretend. This is, this is what we're seeing here. I think the meaning of this, we're getting close to the meaning of this now. God allows these things to happen to bring about greater clarification. And the clarification here is that the Latin Mass was a way of allowing people to bitch and moan without talking about Jews. You never mentioned that. The whole point of it is it was programmed in from the beginning. That's why you're a traditionalist, because you don't want to address the real issue. Well, that's no longer possible. Uh, and I hate to say it, but it's my fault, okay? It's my damn fault because I wrote The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit and the cat was out of the bag. And I, these people, it's, he said it, Stryker said it, the younger generation of traditionalists are now all reading the Jewish revolutionary spirit. This is why the Jews are upset. I, I met with a seminarian, an FSP seminarian here, who's doing something like a dissertation or a thesis on all of the passages criticizing Jews that in Latin that got dropped out as soon as it got translated into English. That's what happened. That's the real story. That's the story that they don't want to talk about. But the Jews are talking about it. We have the Times of Israel. You, I sort of quoted that in there. They're saying, yeah, it's exactly what Stryker said. This new generation of traditionalists are no longer willing to go along with the Jew taboo because they read the Jewish revolutionary spirit. And, and you came unto that because your work prior to that was leading you to one thing, and then then you moved on to what was like, like a treasure hunt almost. Yeah, you, I mean, so, so what is God doing here? God is bringing light to darkness. All of this obfuscation, all of these Latin mass commissars that were basically keeping people on a reservation and preventing them from talking about the real issue, they lost their power. It's over. They're no longer in control. And because they are no longer in control of the Latin mass movement, the Jews are upset. Because now these people are talking about the old uh, passages like perfidious Jews. We don't talk about that anymore, but that was part of the Good Friday uh, uh, liturgy. All of these things were in the liturgy. They all got purged, and now we're, waiting, we're seeing them come back. It's the return of the repressed. 
We're back to a hundred years ago when the church openly and freely talked about the Jewish question in official organs of the church like Civilta Cattolica. But what, what happened was is that at the Latin Mass they had luncheons and gatherings and people were free to talk about all sorts of subjects and the bishops uh, were asked by the Pope, or I don't know, the bishops were upset because they had got wind of some I'm of the things they were if, talking if, about. If the Jews are going to talk to anybody, they're going to talk to the Jesuits. The Jesuits are the proxy warriors of the oligarchs in our church. They do the bidding. It's, they're the guys who, who mains, they take money from George Soros. They are the guys that mainlined uh, Jeffrey Sachs. These are the go-to people if you're a Jew and you're upset. You go to the Jesuits and then you have something like Reese's article and then the Jesuit Pope suddenly implements this. Now, does that discredit what I just said? No. Because let's, we've got, we're going to have to play chess here. We can't play checkers anymore. This is chess. Okay? More sophisticated. It's more sophisticated and we, we're, the, the, the era of Bayside is over. I don't, I don't think a lot of people know what Bayside is. Bayside I don't, I mean, is a phony apparition. Okay? okay, So we can't just say, oh, the real Pope has been kidnapped. That doesn't work anymore. We have to get real sophisticated about what's going on. So uh, it did lead to disunity. That's true. You can't deny that. Even, no matter how much you, you dislike these people, you can't deny the fact that it led to disunity. And I exposed that 28 years ago. So I'm not going to go back on what I knew 28 years ago. Okay? You can't deny that the Jesuits are proxy warriors of the Jews and that they are the proximate cause. Thomas Reese is the proximate cause of this motu proprio. You can't deny that either. Well, how do you put these two things together? Don't they cancel each other out? Doesn't the fact that it's the Jesuits, I just debunked this whole thing, and I'm telling you, but it's true? No, no. We have to be a little bit more sophisticated here. And so we have to have some type of understanding of things like the cunning of reason. I keep talking about this, but this is what we have to talk about. So it may be that what you have here is the Holy Spirit making use of people whose intentions are not really in line with the teaching of the church. I'm talking about the Jesuits now. I mean, I could go down the list of the way they, they, they violate church teaching. You're using, is, are the Jesuits like Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great was an instrument of God because he spread the Greek language. Was he a saint? I don't, we, we're not gonna canonize him any time soon, okay? But he did the work of God in spite of himself. Can the Jesuits be in the same type of situation? I think so. I think that's what we're seeing here. You're seeing the cunning of reason. The Jesuits brought about a situation that is going to increase the consciousness of the real situation. And the real situation, they're working for a group of people, they're working for the Jews, and they're going to bring about the very opposite of what the Jews intended. Because what we're seeing now is through, like the Stryker article, 
we're seeing now the real meaning of this historical event coming to light. In other words, the story here is not really the Latin Mass. The story here is the suppression of the gospel because the church is not preaching the gospel when it comes to Jews. It's the essence of the gospel is the conflict between the old covenant and the new covenant, between the Jews who accepted Jesus Christ and the Jews who rejected Jesus Christ. That's the thesis of Logos Rising. That resonated with this group of people, younger generation of traditionalists, and that blew the whole thing open, and now we're dealing with a whole different situation. So all of you people out there, you're, once again, you're going to be confronted with a choice much more severe than the one in 88 and certainly much more severe than the one in 2007. And that is, are you going to follow the Latin mass out of the church? Because that's what the SSPX did. That's what the Lefevreites did. And there, I can hear those champagne corks popping all at every SSPX operation throughout the world. But, but you're saying that they're not really preaching the gospel in all its entirety, where Paul said, I, I, I did not... Except, wait a minute. The pre, yeah, I, I, I probably would make that claim, but that's irrelevant. Schism is not about doctrine. Schism is about charity. It's not about doctrine. So you can, what, what is, St. Paul is in the back of my mind, if I have to speak like angels if I, with the tongues of angels and I have not charity, it doesn't make a damn bit of difference. That's precisely the situation we're talking about. You can have the most perfect Latin mass in the world, and if you celebrate it in rebellion against the Catholic Church, in schism, it will lead to your damnation. No matter how beautiful you think it is, it will lead to your damnation because you cannot be saved by, without charity. But, but charity would preach the gospel even if they were to be martyred for it. In other words, they're afraid to really preach parts of the gospel that need to be Everyone preached. Everyone is afraid to preach the gospel. I don't care where you are. The Jesuits... LifeSite News, you name it, they're afraid to preach the gospel because the gospel offends the most powerful group on the face of the earth right now, the group that controls the internet and every other operation here. And this fear of the Jews is not a new phenomenon. And I'm saying that the Latin mass movement was created as a reaction to fear of the Jews. They were hiding out, hiding out with the Latin mass. We don't have to talk about unpleasant stuff. All we need to do is go back to the Latin Mass and everything will be okay. This is not Catholicism. Not Catholicism. This is opium. This is what Karl Marx was talking about. So you can pick your dope. You can have the Medjugorje dope. You can have all kinds of dope here. And basically what all of these fringe groups want to do is go off and smoke dope and be left alone. St. Paul, all the time, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Um, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Uh, they were, uh, he's, always, he's always saying they were afraid to preach the gospel for fear of persecution. And he's always praying, pray for me that I may have the courage to preach the gospel. This yeah. is at the forefront. Well, if, if someone's as courageous as St. Paul has to say that, 
How do you think the rest of humanity is? Yeah, he did have to say it, and he prayed for prayers all the because time. Because he knew, he knew what he was up against. Those, the Jews are the, the people that killed Christ, and they're enemies of the entire human race. I once asked a graduate student in Notre Dame who said that, graduate student in theology, and she said, without a beat, missing a beat, she said, Adolf Hitler. This shows you how far we have come from the gospel. When you think that it was Adolf Hitler and it was really St. Paul who said that. This shows you how crazy we have all become. And this is why God allowed this to happen because this is the return of the repressed. It's the Jewish question. That's the issue, not the Latin mass. The Latin mass is a way of avoiding the Jewish question. That's what it's been, and that younger generation of traditionalists broke that apart. That's, they're not listening to the commissars anymore, and that's why the Jews are upset. So that means there's going to be more, more battle then, because if the younger people have the courage to preach the gospel, then it's going to get more intense, because in a sense, people haven't really been preaching the gospel like it should be. No, no. Now, the temptation is clear. I've already talked about the temptation. You're going to follow, the for this group of people, it's exactly the temptation that Pope John Paul II tried to address in Ecclesia Day, except that the anger is much greater now. You're going to follow, you'll be tempted, you, the traditionalist, will be tempted to follow the mass out of the church into schism, which is based on lack of charity, because you want to smoke that dope. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to address their abuse of the sacred mass because they are the people that turned it into a political football, which is what it is today. But you're, but you're reducing it in your article. The last thing you said was precisely, um, let me see here how you said it. Um, the traditionist custodist rightly points out the lack of unity in the church, but ascribes that lack of unity to a symptom, the Latin mass, and not the cause, which is the all but universal refusal to preach the gospel as it applies to the Jews. Uh, TC, traditionist custodist, makes this point when it mentions the importance of the Lex Orandi, but it fails to trace the disastrous consequence of this manipulation of the Lex Orandi back to its source in embarrassment at the gospel, which is the fonts et origo of the liturgy. Can you break that down? Yeah, it's the, litur the, the liturgy is based on the gospel. And the gospel is, if you're ashamed of the gospel, you're not going to have the proper liturgy. And I'm, I'm saying uh, that basically that whole movement to expunge all of these statements about the Jews uh, from the liturgy and using the English translation as an excuse to cover that is, a, is proof that these people are embarrassed by the gospel. Especially uh, um, <clears throat> Paul writing the first epistle um, to the Romans, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And this is to Rome, this is Rome, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. And he says, I mean, this is Paul, I am not ashamed, where most people were. I mean, at one, some points, everybody abandoned Paul. Yes. They were all ashamed. So you have Jesus, they all left him, but they also all left Paul at points. Yes, yes. Because it's embarrassing. 
certain parts of the gospel become very embarrassing. Your reputation is going to be... There's always going to be some type of embarrassment because every culture throughout history is going to be a distortion of reality. And to the extent that it's a distortion of reality or logos, they're going to be embarrassed by the gospel, which is the reality, the ultimate reality. So it's always going to happen. You know, okay, you're a teetotaler. Well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus turn water into wine? Well, no, no. It's grape juice. Well, this is the type of, I mean, that's, that's ludicrous, okay? That's funny. Ha ha. It's not funny when we talk about the Jews. The whole point of this disastrous experiment known as Catholic Jewish dialogue was to suppress any type of gospel passage that the Jews found offensive. In order to, keep, to make the dialogue friendly. What, what is the purpose? If that's the condition, what is the purpose of dialogue? That is their verdict in so many words because the Vatican uh, emphasized, uh, did an analysis of that, an evaluation of it, and they said it failed. Of course it failed. How are you going to deal with people, the people who killed Christ and who are enemies of the entire human race. Look at the consequences. Once by, by, by giving him that, okay, we won't talk about that which offends you. Once we gave him that, look where the culture has gone. Every, the, the offensiveness, the sensitivity to offense increased exponentially. It increased exponentially because you're not confronting them. That's the problem. They just backed out. It's been a disaster. And I'm saying this is symptomatic of that. It's, it's the Latin Mass, there's nothing wrong with the Latin Mass, but it's become, as those, those texts that I mentioned, you know, one guy, he's uh, uh, upset because the Latin Mass became the opposite of the pedophile crisis, or the Latin Mass became his way of bitching about the fact that the church didn't stand up to Fauci and COVID during this period of time. Well, that's true, the church should have stood up to Fauci and COVID, but they didn't. So now you're using this as an excuse to separate yourself from the church. That's not the way it works. What works here is the cunning of reason. God brought, the, brought to light something that everybody was united in suppressing, whether you're on the right or whether you're on the left. They what do they both agree? We're not going to talk about Jews. So whether it's Thomas Reese or whether it's Robbie George well, you know, whatever it is, we're going to suppress. We're going to all become commissars who are going to suppress this. And what we're going to do is talk about uh, symbolic alternatives, totems, the mass. But That's the, what the mass became. But at the root is not love, because perfect love casts out all fear. But instead you had fear directing everything and not love. Right. The fear of the Jews was directing fear it, and it's Jews supposed to be love directing it. Right. And love will preach the gospel, because if you don't warn the wicked, their blood's on you. And so you're loving yourself also. I mean. So, so what is this love, uh, this new kind of love that comes out of this Catholic Jewish dialogue? Let them all go to hell. Let the Jews go to hell because they have a covenant. Dual covenant was the fruit of this dialogue, the Keeler statement endorsing the dual covenant was so abominable that the, 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 national, the National Conference of Catholic Bishops would not publish it, even though it was written by one of their own bishops. It was that bad, that bad. 
Now, but, God is not going to let that happen. But not only are you not warning them about hell, if you don't warn them, their blood's on you. So you're risking your salvation if you don't tell them the truth. Yeah, and because if you tell them the truth, they get mad at you. Yeah, but you're but you're saving your soul. What is what is? I understand that, and the 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 example would be Stephen, okay, the first martyr. Stephen, when you when you, the the Jews could not refute what Stephen says said, and so when they can't refute you, they pick up stones and they kill you. Well, what did he say that got him really mad? He accused them for the death of Christ. Right. And that's what got him really mad. They really got mad at that, and they pick up stones. When the Jew, the Jew cannot refute your argument, when he realizes that, he gets really angry, and he picks up a stone, and he wants to kill you. And the way they do that now is accusing you of hate speech and deplatforming you. That's the way the Jew deals with Logos now, in our age. And people are waking up to that fact, and they don't like it. The Jews don't like it. They're unhappy. And they go to their friends in the church, like the Jesuits, and they tell them, do something about this. Don't just stand there. Do something. That's the cause of this thing. So, but why, do the, why are the Jesuits so willing to be their proxy warriors? Why are they so willing? Because of their, their weakness of their, their spiritual... You want to go, we go back to uh, the, the corruption of the Jesuit order. Uh, it's Americanism. That's how they got corrupted. And we're talking about a time after World War II when the anti-communism crusade, the anti-communist crusade was going full bore. Well, we're all against communism, aren't we? That seems like, and so they got on board. I'm talking about the generation of John Courtney Murray. They got on board and we're gonna support America. Well, guess what changed over this period of time? It was America changed. So then it was being against communism. Well, all Catholics are against communism. Sign me up. Well, wait a minute. Okay, now it means uh, you have to be in favor of contraception. Mm, well, okay, okay. Oh, well, now it means you've got to be in favor of abortion. That's another Jewish crusade. Oh, well, now it means you've got to be in favor of sodomy, another Jewish crusade, or gay marriage, another Jewish crusade. That's how it got, happened. And the Jesuits have gone lockstep every step of the way with the American empire as the American Empire was taken over by the Jews. But this is also goes way back when the Catholics decided to adopt this kind of idea of assimilation instead of preaching the gospel like there they used to. There was a conflict in the church between the Irish who wanted, who were avid to assimilate. All of the big Americanists were Irishmen as opposed to the Germans. So anyway, I mean, we got we to wrap this up this is the crisis. Every crisis is an opportunity. The opportunity is only there if you can understand what's going on. And that what's going on, the bottom line of what's going on is that the Holy Spirit is still in charge of the church and he's not going to be thwarted. The Holy Spirit is not going to be thwarted by the intentions of wicked men who want to serve the people who killed Christ and who are enemies of the entire human race, even if they are members of the Catholic Church. That's the point. That's the, that's the chess explanation as opposed to the checkers explanation. Well, uh, the anti-Masonic party came out of nowhere because somebody got killed, okay? That, it was 1828. I mean, 
if we if had they, an anti-Masonic party, we now need an anti-Jewish party. But, but what got it going is that somebody got murdered, and then all, in America, boom, everybody found out. And they found out why he was murdered, how he was murdered, and the news spread. I hope you're not proposing me as the candidate here to. Uh, I'm just looking at about the. Uh, <laughs> I'm, looking I'm not going to volunteer for that campaign. No, but uh, to bear witness to the gospel is the Greek word for martyr. Martyr means to bear witness. Well, we got to bear witness. It's that simple. Yeah, and you have to pray. And the church has to pray, and then and then Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church, actually. Yes. And the church sent them out to preach the gospel, and they did get a lot of trouble. Paul went through all kinds of trouble. That's right. That's right. But his strength came from that he was sent out by the Holy Spirit by the church, and he knew who sent him, and he had boldness, and the church was always praying for him. Fortune favors the bold. Yeah. But Paul didn't have it without prayer. He kept praying, please pray for me that I may have that boldness because that testifies to the truth of what you're saying. That's right. Because you believe it. And a lot of people say stuff, but they don't really believe it. They're kind of actors. And when the pressure's on, the actor flees. So, um, so your, your encouragement then is fundamentally on an individual basis people we have to be attentive to the movement of god in human history none of us not one of us has the power but god has the power and god is pushing history forward in his own way and if you can't see it you're not going to be able to join forces with him that's the whole point of this but we can see it uh even in ecclesiastes it says uh God gives wisdom and knowledge to the good man. That's right. So if you live under Christ, if you live holy, what comes with it is access to God's wisdom and knowledge. And you can be part of the solution and part of the movement uh, that God is now promoting in human history. Yeah. But you have to be a seeker after wisdom, you have to be a have seeker to, after have God. To have courage. You have to have courage to do this. Yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. But it says, come boldly into the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy. That way has been made open by Christ and we have to have, we have to overcome unbelief, really, in a way. Yeah. It's unbelief that oftentimes prevents you from coming into God's presence through the gospel, through the yes. blood of Christ. Okay, uh, we're wrapping this up. Uh, this is Citizens for Community Media, and hopefully other uh, communities can be inspired to address this issue. It's a local issue, even though, like you said, it's not a local parish that's holding this. They come from everywhere. But there is a movement out here that is very real, right? Yes. And we don't know where it's going. I mean, and this is their crisis, and hopefully we will contribute to a, a successful resolution of that crisis. Yeah, that's our hope. Okay, this is Peter Helland with Dr. E. Michael Jones on Citizens for Community Media.